Hey everyone, welcome back to the Speakeasy. It's Reagan here. Hey everybody, it's Emily. We are so excited about tonight's episode. We're tackling something a little bit different. We're going to talk about cannabis, legality of cannabis, and some of the ways that you can remember how it can help your health and your body. Yes, and so to join us tonight, we actually have Kristen Williams. She is the owner and founder of Hemsley Health. It is located in Columbia, Missouri, and she's going to give us so many great tips tonight. Hello, my name is Kristen Williams, and I am the founder of Hemsley, which is a wellness education company focused on the endocannabinoid system and cannabis. Thank you guys so much for having me tonight. I'm excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. Uh, we were just saying before we jumped on, Reagan and I are very, you know, new to understanding the science behind cannabis and hemp, whereas Lana has worked with Kristen, they have worked together. And I think this will be a really fun interview because um, they have a lot in common and we're going to learn some really cool things about hemp. I know I'm very, very excited. And I think that Emily has a question um, for us to start off our episode with a little segment of think or drink. I sure do. So my question is, there's a lot of like, facts and myths about marijuana and like the marijuana plant. And my question is, do hemp and cannabis come from the same strain of the plant? The same strain of the plant. <laughs> That's the, okay. Um, so it's a yes or no. So you have a 50-50 shot here. <laughs> so like to clarify, some people think like the female plant has the like THC properties and like the male plant has like the hemp and the like, um, CBD properties. So that's kind of where this question comes from. Um, I'm just gonna, I'll say, yeah, I'll say, yeah. <laughs> Dang. Okay. I always hate when this happens when somebody else answers first, because I'm like, ah, oh, I always wanted to go the same way, but like now I kind of want to go to the different way because I'm not going to lie, even though Emily texted me this morning and you guys, everybody's saying that I have some knowledge on THC and CBD and all that know that it is very, very limited. <laughs> and all that's coming to my mind right now is like, okay, when it comes to hemp versus marijuana, there's a percentage that kind of causes that change. So it makes me think it has to be the same strain, but then also like, maybe not. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say no, no, they do not derive from the same plant. And I'm going to say yes, because hemp is, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis plant. So cannabis and hemp would be same okay so Lana you're gonna be mad you always want to play devil's advocate <clears throat> and I'm sorry for that but um yes they do come from the same cannabis plant um the plants flowering tops and leaves contain the psychoactive elements and THC that we associate with like smoking marijuana marijuana that they put into you know edibles things like that and then the seeds and the fibers from the stalk are what what are where hemp comes from. So in terms of cultivation, they are cultivated differently depending on what um, like the grower is trying to get out of it. Uh, and hemp does have a little bit of THC in it, but to like be sold as a hemp product, it has to have like below 0.3% THC content. So yes, they are the same thing. They come from the same plant, but they are cultivated differently. God dang. I'm so sorry, Lana. <laughs> we'll see how I do tonight, dear listeners, because as I shared with my co-hosts, tonight I am having a Bubba Kush root beer. So it's about 100 milligrams of THC. I'm going to take it slow. I'm not going to go too fast. <laughs> but um, this is going to be a lot better for you guys who tuned in this past week with us. You saw that I made a mango nata edible at home. I didn't go with that tonight, even though I was going to, because that got me fucked up. <laughs> Let me just tell you guys that if you are making edibles at home for yourself, always, always take it slow. Do not do what I did and just smash the drink because it tasted so good because I <laughs> was seeing things for hours. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to make that drink, please do, but do be a little bit safer than me and take it, you know, maybe a shot at a time or things like that. Because it's so much harder to tell your dosing when you're making things at home. I can second that. I remember in college, somebody made brownies in my dorm and was like, here's some edible brownies that I made. And I had never done an edible before. I'm not a huge like smoker. Like weed makes me very paranoid all the time. So I was like, oh, for sure. Let's try it out. Worst experience in my life. I think I passed out around 8 p.m. and woke up around midnight and was like, what happened to me? I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, like always be careful with homemade edibles. 
beer making them, if friends make them, just be careful. I had a friend make me a birthday cake and I, it was so delicious. I ate too much of it. They put a whole ounce in the brownies upon the bud tender's recommendation because they were like, well, is she experienced? And they said, yes, but like smoking and um, ingesting are two totally separate things. When you ingest cannabis, it converts into another form of THC, which is considered to be almost 10 times as strong. And so, yeah, I was literally high for three days straight. Like I don't remember two days because I ate so much. <laughs> Before, you know, we kind of get into, Kristen, I, I like that you brought up the, those like distinct differences. Um, and we're definitely going to get into the nitty gritty science and kind of have a bit of chemistry class. But before we do that, like, I would love to just establish a little bit, like more of who you are, like what has your journey been and what exactly do you do at Hemsley? Well, I actually went to school for visual communications and business administration. I never had any intention of getting into the cannabis industry. I was actually totally against all drugs and alcohol all throughout high school, never touched it, um, was a very good kid, um, was actually in the Smokebusters Club, so that gives you a <laughs> point of reference, yeah. And it was in college when I had a good friend who was still in high school back home who was getting in trouble in high school for cannabis. And I came back one weekend and he ended up lecturing me about how I didn't know what I was talking about and I needed to do my own research before I judged him or um, lectured him about it. And it was someone I really trusted. I knew they wouldn't lead me astray. And so I took what they said to heart and decided to do research and try it for myself. And of course realized it was not what I had thought at all. And I realized that it was actually really beneficial for my anxiety. I actually didn't even know that I had anxiety until that point when my mind like actually calmed down and I turned into a real human that could enjoy the moment. And I started using it recreationally on the weekends. And then it was like, all of a sudden it was becoming an integral part of my self-care routines. I was, you know, smoking and then cooking really healthy meals for myself. I was smoking and going to work out. I was sleeping much better and more soundly through the stresses of college. And I realized that it was actually really beneficial to me and started incorporating it more mindfully. And then I heard this story of Charlotte Figgy, who was a little girl who was having about 300 grand seizures a week. And her parents were giving her CBD oil to subdue these seizures and it was working. And I got to the end of reading this article and I was just totally distraught over the public's backlash against her parents for giving her a quote unquote drug. You know, I could not wrap my head around anyone trying to take this medicine away from this little girl after nothing else had worked and couldn't understand people wanting to see her parents go to prison for just trying to help her. And I became really passionate. I've always just been kind of that um, activist, volunteer oriented person and became really passionate about helping people understand the therapeutic and non-intoxicating benefits that cannabis could offer because I had been in their positions where I was totally against it. And what really changed my mind was learning about how cannabis worked in the body and especially with the endocannabinoid system, which is what Hempsley was designed to help share about. So I started doing design for lots of different cannabis companies all over the country. And the more I learned and traveled and experienced different events and um, conferences and started learning more and more, the more I wanted to find a way to bring that information back to my own community here in Missouri. We we're still a prohibition state. And so in 2017, after a couple other failed business ventures, I actually launched Hempsley. And Hemsley was really just my way of being able to communicate with a more Midwestern and conservative audience. I also noticed being a graphic designer, there weren't any brands that really placed cannabis as being something that would be consumed um, in a small town community. It was all big city life or mountains or beach life. And I felt like as a Midwesterner, that felt more like vacation rather than everyday life or more them rather than us. And I wanted to create something that you know, people like my grandma could resonate with and not feel weird about looking up. And especially at the time, 2017, I mean, there really wasn't any resource that I would feel comfortable sending my neighbor down the street to in order to learn about the therapeutic effects without being feared that I would be labeled as a stoner or, you know, essentially be incriminated because that was also a big fear of mine. Being a rule following good girl my entire childhood, it was really scary to kind of be more public about cannabis. And so Hempsley was my way of sharing the side of cannabis that I was comfortable with the public being aware of and trying to create something that other people could feel comfortable sharing as well because it just didn't exist. So 
2017, we launched and it was really just a website with a few educational articles. And I started promoting it during my graphic design travels and got lots of support from the cannabis industry itself. People were really excited that I was working to educate the more broad public, especially in prohibition areas, because ultimately, you know, that allows these companies that are in legal states to expand and grow their markets. And so everyone was really supportive, really excited. Through trial and error, we've learned so much, and I'm so excited to kind of bring it all together in a tidy little package, hopefully launching within the next couple of months to help people connect with the products and information that really help them understand how to care for this endocannabinoid system and, um, you know, either do it completely without cannabis or with cannabis. I just want people to have that information. And I also feel that people who are against cannabis, if they understand this, it at least, maybe they're not gonna try it for themselves, but they can at least understand why it can be medicine for some people and can be more accepting of that. So that is Hemsley's mission, my mission. That's really cool. And like, just quickly, um, I was just thinking, like you said, you were really against it when you were younger. And like, that's kind of how I was. And my family has always been really against marijuana and smoking and, you know, ingesting any sort of that sort that thing. And then, you know, CBD helps so many people relax and things like that. So my family's gotten a little more open-minded, but I'm curious how your family felt like in the Midwest, if you felt that way, like, you know, weed is bad, then did your family feel that way? And how did they feel about you kind of transitioning from that into, you know, supporting this mission of educating people on cannabis? You know, I was really fortunate and lucky. My parents were very supportive. They didn't understand it necessarily, but they also had seen me grow up. They knew that I was a good kid and that I was taking care of myself. And they could also see that my anxiety levels had dropped. I was more in the moment and it was benefiting my well-being. And so I was really lucky that they were able to see and support that. And um, yeah, as I transitioned into being more public about it, it was really just a concern of like, don't get arrested, <laughs> you know? And so that was also one of Hemsley's missions was to make sure that I was creating something that could be shared in illegal states without fear of repercussions. And um, not only for myself, but for my loved ones, and then for other people who are in the same boat and wanted to be able to share information without incriminating themselves. And I will say, I think you did an amazing job at that because I know for sure, kind of having Emily speak on that, I remember there were some beginning events where we would be at your mom's house, you know, putting together our little gift baskets or figuring out how to do things. So seeing, you know, cause that was one of the first times I grew up in Colorado. So I definitely had this kind of perception of like what a stoner is or what that looks like. And coming to Missouri of all places and meeting a group of people who, you know, did come from all walks of life and just come together to support this mission. It was like one of the most mind blowing things to me because I wasn't used to it, but I do want to talk a little bit more then and get into, you know, THC, sativa, terpenes, all of that stuff. What does this mean? When we are talking about the cannabis plant, there's just so many different things that affect the way we feel, affect, you know, how we're going to ingest it. So what are some of the biggest things? Like how much of a difference does indica versus sativa mean? Is it CBD versus THC? What do all of these kind of keywords really mean? Yes, great question, because there is a lot and there's so much misinformation in the industry right now, it's baffling to me. But essentially, so cannabis supports this endocannabinoid system, which is responsible for keeping all your other systems in balance. It was only discovered in the 90s, which is why people don't know about it yet. But you know, this is going to be something that's taught in elementary schools alongside cardiovascular system, respiratory system, all of that. And essentially, this system is made up of receptors embedded all over your body. And when these receptors are stimulated by cannabinoids, our bodies can communicate more effectively with themselves. So when you encounter a stressor, your body has to go into fight or flight mode to help protect you from that threat. And it pauses all of these systems or maybe you know increases your breathing, increases your heart rate so that you can deal with that threat. And it's actually the endocannabinoid system that's playing a role in getting all those systems to that place. And then once the threat is passed, it's the system's job to bring everything back down to balance again. And so when we're living in a chronic state of stress and anxiety, this system is being triggered all the time and we can become depleted in our own endocannabinoids, endo meaning inside, phyto meaning plant. Um, cannabis produces phytocannabinoids. And yeah, we can supplement it with phytocannabinoids. So, you know, if you're deficient in potassium, your doctor may tell you to eat more bananas. If you're deficient in cannabinoids, you can consume more cannabis, same kind of concept there. 
So essentially, THC and CBD are just two of over 100 different cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. And while they all support the system, they all provide slightly different effects. And so THC is known for its intoxicating properties, while CBD is known for its non-intoxicating properties. And this is just because they work completely differently. THC is actually almost identical to one of our body's own endocannabinoids called anandamide. It's been nicknamed the bliss molecule throughout history because it is our natural high molecule. And we can stimulate the release of this endocannabinoid through things like massage, exercise. Runner's high is actually a release of anandamide, not um, you know, other things as previously expected. And so eating right, we can really increase these things. CBD works inadvertently on the system. So it just slows the breakdown of anandamide naturally, which is why you don't actually get any extra intoxicating effects. But whenever we're consuming THC up to a certain point, we're essentially just fulfilling a deficiency. So if you're deficient in that endocannabinoid anandamide, if you consume just a little bit of THC, um, cannabis has a biphasic dosing response curve. So imagine a bell-shaped curve. Up to a certain point, you're just fulfilling that deficiency and that's your peak point of balance as I like to call it. But then past that point is whenever you start to feel high and you can start to have negative side effects like paranoia, anxiety, maybe um, you know, dizziness, short-term memory loss, all of those types of things. And actually pushing past our peak point of balance on a regular basis can hurt our endocannabinoid system more than help it because our endocannabinoid system will start to turn off receptors. It'll stop producing less of its own anandamide because this system's job is to keep everything in balance. So if it's seeing a surplus of this stuff, it's going to slow everything down because it's like, whoa, we've got too much of this. And so that's why it's really important for me to be educating not only new consumers about cannabis, but also current cannabis consumers, because I've definitely been someone who's pushed past that peak point of balance multiple times. <laughs> THC, um, if you just have THC, you're going to feel really intoxicated, just CBD, not at all. And really, we want a mix of those two things. The cannabis plant has this concept called the entourage effect that says that all the compounds work best when used together. So ideally, you want at least a little bit of each of those things to help create the optimal experience. And that kind of dictates, again, that level of intoxication, how high you'll feel, how impaired, quote unquote, you'll feel. But then the terpenes, um, which are compounds that give plants their smell and flavor, drive the type of high you'll have. So, you know, sativa and indica have historically been a way to label this type of drive. And it's not really, it's getting phased out. Sativa and indica are essentially just physical structures of the plant. Um, sativa plants were lankier and taller and they typically had more of the energizing and uplifting terpenes. Right now, and indica plants are more short and stocky and had more of the sedating, relaxing terpenes. But because of all the crossbreeding happening in the industry right now, this is just really becoming irrelevant. And um, a lot of dispensaries, not a lot, some are trying to move towards helping people understand what terpenes they need to be looking for and start to identify those so that they can better choose what is going to work best for them. So that's something I'm working on helping a dispensary, designing a dispensary right now. And so I'm helping work on the menus organizational system and really focusing on bringing that point home because it's something that I've started to use in my own cannabis use, really smelling what I'm about to use and trying to identify the notes and then take note of that and how it makes me feel so that I can choose more informed um, in a more informed way the next time and recreate or avoid experiences that, you know, I like or don't like. Kristen, I could literally listen to you talk about this all day. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Like, I feel like I've had, you know, the concept of THC and CBD and hemp, like broken down for me so many times, but now listening to you, it like clicked, like I get it now. Um, and I'm really glad that you brought up that point of, you know, like the bell shaped curve, because that's something that I had definitely never heard of. And I would love to kind of know, like, what are some of the ways that you go about informing people about that? And like, how, how can we increase the safety of cannabis consumption to make sure that, you know, we're not going past that point? Absolutely. I mean, I think the main way is just talking to people because at first I was really scared to bring conversations like this up, even with close friends, because it can feel preachy. But if you're just coming from a place of, you know, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this. I've learned this about myself. 
And my cannabis consumption has changed because of it. And I'm getting more out of my cannabis consumption because really the idea is to get the best use possible, right? You want to create the best experience for what you're looking for. And if we can make more informed decisions about our CBD and THC ratios and the terpenes that we're choosing, that can help us create exactly the experience we're wanting and use it more efficiently and effectively. So, you know, if I'm trying to use it during the day, it's important for me to know that I'm using uplifting terpenes rather than sedating terpenes. That's, that's a really important key for me. So when it comes to sharing, really just, I mean, I personally get on, you know, social media and I'm making videos and things, but on a one-to-one -one basis is when I found it can be the most effective because you can have a real conversation and explain how it's changed your life and just give suggestions and answer questions along the way. So I think too that just mentioning this type of thing to other people, just planting the seed, even if they don't want to hear more about it, you know, planting that seed of, oh, you don't want to push past that peak point too frequently and you can get into tolerance breaks um, along with that subject. It, it can be really helpful for just planting that in their brain and then they can grow and water it on their own time, um, which I think has also been a really effective tool for talking to close friends of mine that are Quote unquote donors. So I just have a quick question. Um, in the previous uh, previous answer, you were talking about how you want to educate like people who are new to cannabis as well as people who have experience with the with cannabis. And obviously, there have like there are no reports of you can die from cannabis. But what are some dangerous things that people should look out for, like as a longtime user or as a new user? Like what are those sort of red flags that people should see when they're using cannabis? Yeah, great question. I think if your tolerance gets really, really high, being mindful of that is important because essentially what you've done is you've moved that peak point of balance farther and farther away. And so you're having to use more and your body doesn't need necessarily, necessarily, if you're a medical marijuana patient, um, take all of this with a grain of salt because depending on what your condition is, um, if you're just using it more recreationally, pushing past that peak point of balance, you're gonna throw your body out of balance. And if you're not eating well, if you're not um, you know, getting proper exercise, your endocannabinoid system overall is just suffering, suffering, suffering. And by continually pushing past that point of balance to reach that high state over and over every day, even like all day long, then you're really doing your body a disservice in, again, those endocannabinoid system receptors are going to shut off. And so, you can just take a break, you know, three days has been shown to be enough of a break to help encourage those receptors to turn back on. And if you're someone who can't quit cold turkey for three days, just decrease your use for a few days. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, but it won't be as uncomfortable as it could be. And it's still going to encourage your endocannabinoid system to start working again. I really love that you brought up that difference, especially for, you know, medical versus what might be a recreational user. Because I know for me, I actually live in a state, Oklahoma, where I am a medical patient. There is no recreational, you know, ability. Um, but I think that one thing that's really hard for patients and especially people like me is you get this diagnosis, right? You talk to a doctor and they tell you, okay, you have PTSD or you have this or you have that and you're checked off and then you get this card. Next thing you know, you go to a dispensary and your doctor is no longer part of the process. So it's really hard for somebody who, you know, is given this for a medical benefit to be able to understand exactly what that means. And incomes companies like yours who basically go in and educate everybody on this is exactly what that means. So how have you kind of seen that effect, you know, with patients or, or, you know, different communities, doctors, maybe where we have this really weird shift of like, we're prescribing medication, but we're not doing it the way that prescriptions have been done for years. <laughs> so how do you, you know, as your company come in and kind of combat that? Yeah, that's a really big problem because Legally speaking, everyone's just trying to cover their asses right now. Nobody wants to, because the federal government's still not on board with all of this, you know, and so everybody's trying to be as hands-off as possible, which makes it really difficult for the patient, like you said. And so what we do, I mean, we don't have any legal restrictions. You know, I'm not a healthcare professional, anything like that. I'm not a coach. I'm a graphic designer who really likes exploring this information, learning everything I can about it, and then outputting it in a creative and visual form for people to begin learning. That's really where I think my skill and strength lies. And so 
I really just try to create accessible information that's also taking the main points of what I'm learning and breaking it down because so much of what I see in education right now is very high level, like very, very high level doctors, scientists, educating about this stuff. And I'm so grateful for the work that they're doing. But whenever it comes to keeping a brand new audience's attention span that maybe doesn't even really want to hear about cannabis, I'm sliding it into a conversation, I have to make sure that I can whittle down those main points. And I also want to create information that can be easily shared. You know, you can actually send this infographic to a friend or family member to help them understand. You can buy this little book and mail it to your grandma so that she can, you know, flip through quickly and start to understand this. And so, yeah, I, it really just comes into breaking it, trying to break it down even further and then create those educational initiatives and really empower the average person to also be going out and educating. Because, you know, at the time when I was trying to make a difference here in Columbia, the only opportunities that I could find for supporting the cannabis community was fundraise or gather petition signatures. And I was so terrible at both of those things, like truly, truly terrible. And so I decided that, you know, I was going to make my mission educating so that if it came to a vote, when it came to a vote, people would understand how to vote. Um, and so that is where my fuel came from. And I just want to give other people who are in that position, the tools and resources to do that same thing in their own communities. That kind of leads us into the next part of this broad conversation, which is like the legalization and the policy and, you know, that whole kind of process. Um, and one thing looking through our notes that Lana had written down was something called patent number 6630507. Would you be able to kind of break that down for our listeners and talk about what does the legalization of marijuana in the U.S. look like? And, you know, where are we? Well, it's crazy because that patent is actually one that the US government filed in 2001 claiming cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants. 2001, which was 20 years ago. And to file a patent, you have to have extensive research, right? And this is saying that cannabinoids, the thing that comes from the cannabis plant has medicinal value. Like that is what that patent says. And this is actually just one of many patents that the US government has filed. and. It, What's so crazy about it is that, you know, they have listed cannabis as a schedule one drug, which says that it has no medicinal value. So they're contradicting themselves, you know, on the down low, trying to keep it under wraps. And there was a whole campaign started by someone totally separate who was trying to bring this to light. And it was really interesting because I was playing off of it, made a series of artwork, but I never really saw it go anywhere in mainstream media. This was never picked up. And I think that that says a lot about where you know we are still at politically with the climate of cannabis and you know in 2018 um, i organized this big event around cannabis education before the vote that november and that was one that lana was a part of and what was interesting was whenever i started organizing the event in may there were supposed to be 23 states voting on some kind of cannabis law but by the time the vote rolled around in november there were only five states voting on some kind of cannabis law. So to see that kind of drop off, you know, there was a lot going on by the end of 2018 and there's been a lot going on the past couple of years. So, you know, I understand why it's not necessarily in the forefront, but it's very frustrating because also there's so many states, you know, there's 36 medical marijuana states now, there's 16 recreational states. Um, you know, it's going to be really difficult for the federal government to stop it at this point. So it's just kind of waiting for the shoe to drop and waiting for it to become, you know, for everything else to settle down enough so that that can kind of come back into the forefront of the conversation. Yeah, I'm really happy you kind of brought that up because that leads into our next question, which is, you know, because of the fact that marijuana is a schedule one drug and is classified the way that it is, unlike other medications and unlike other drugs that come through, you know, come to our consumers, it's not looked at by the FDA. And that is something that we often use as like a standard of safety or a standard of, you know, this is good. So I think that there's a little bit of, you know, people are not sure exactly what the differences could be. But how, even though, you know, it doesn't have that federal regulation, how are dispensaries actually still keeping marijuana safer than how, than what a user could find on the street? At the end of the day, they're both the same plant. If you get it off the street or at a dispensary, 
it's the same plant and it can have the same therapeutic benefits. The difference is you don't know what was in the street version and there's no one to be held accountable. So especially if you're a severely ill medical marijuana patient who is needing this plant for true medicine, it can be really dangerous to get a plant off the street that might have mold or mycotoxins or be contaminated. I heard about um, over in the UK, there was a dealer that was spraying his flower with um, lead to make it heavier and way more. And it's like, you know, you don't want to be ingesting that stuff. It's really important that you don't. And so that's the biggest thing. And then next would be these dispensaries are lab testing them different ones to different degrees, different, every different state has different regulations around testing, which is just ridiculous to me. Um, because something that might pass testing in Colorado might not pass in California. And so one of the things we did at Hemsley for CBD was aggregate all of the acceptable limits across all states and cho choose the lowest to try to create a standard that we could hold these CBD companies to at least. But when it comes to marijuana, especially whenever you're trying to choose that cannabis strain that's going to make you feel uplifted and not too high, able to function throughout your day, go about it like a normal person, but also energized and motivated. It's important that you have access to the terpene and cannabinoid ratio, which you're not going to get on the street. Now, not all dispensaries offer this stuff yet, but you can at least get THC percentages. And if you're someone who's trying to make their own edibles at home, like we were discussing at the beginning of the show, this is also really important to be able to calculate how much is in a dose. Because I have people texting me all the time, like I made these edibles at home. How do, how do I know how much THCs on them. I'm like, you don't, you know, I suggest that you go with a 20%, you know, average because typically strains are coming in around 20% and just assume that it's somewhere around there and do the math that way, but you don't know. And the key is going to be doing a consistent dose every time and tracking how it affects you. And I think that's where the black market can become so tricky because yes, you have to be tracking it no matter what, but you really have to pay extra attention if you're consuming things off the black market and really take extra diligent notes to truly understand how it's affecting you. If you're not really trying to use it in a specific medical way, then that's not as big of a deal. So it just depends on your needs and um, you know what you're concerned about at the end of the day. Um, so I'm curious how like the legal side of it, like the federal legal side has affected businesses like yours or other businesses in the like cannabis world. Like how does that affect how you go about teaching about, you know, working with dispensaries, things like that? Yeah, great question because it's affected us in all ways. <laughs> um, we can't market you know, online. We can't do Facebook ads. We can't do Instagram ads. We get shadow banned. Lots of cannabis companies get shadow banned on these platforms. We, it took us nine months to find a, find a payment processor back in 2019. And then we lost them back in February. Um, on no notice, they just like froze our account and said that we had to comply with all of these new education regulations, basically saying that, you know, we couldn't say anything about the therapeutic benefits of CBD. And it's like, well, we're an education website. You know, we, that's not going to work for us. And so, um, yeah, it's affected us immensely in that way. And then as far as, you know, educational events, really having to be careful about what we're saying, you know, whenever I am talking to a patient one-on-one, -on -one, I really have to watch and make sure I don't make any medical claims. And, you know, I can give personal experiences, but there's also a line with personal experiences, even whenever you're um, tiptoeing around the federal regulations. And so it definitely has made things challenging in, in all ways. <laughs> I'm really happy you got into that. Cause I think that that's something that is so unknown because you know, we see, especially in so many states that when marijuana comes, marijuana busts. And so you think like, okay, these businesses are growing so fast. There must be like an untapped market, which there is, but it's also like, there are so many different things that they have to come across that you may not even realize. And I think kind of talking into that a little bit, it makes me think about how we are not only, you know, making it known, but how we lobby on a legal way like what are the ways I know for myself um, as I kind of talked about I worked a lot in that 
you know, getting petitions signed for the Missouri legislation to come. But it was still something that even though I didn't, I knew I wasn't doing anything illegal, I was really scared about it. And anytime I was on campus and I saw like a, a campus police kind of drive by, I was like, oh man, like, should I like put this sign down? Like, are they going to stop me? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to get like followed? And so how do you find those groups and how do you find those resources to be able to make that change without really scaring yourself into not doing it? Yeah, that's a real fear and something that I, you know, honestly, I still struggle with sometimes. I'm still very careful about what I post, even though I am a licensed medical marijuana patient in the state of Missouri, it is still something that I think twice about before posting myself using THC online. And I think that come, that it just comes down to what you feel comfortable with. You know, I got to a place where I did feel really comfortable sharing about CBD and CBD was actually removed from the schedule one drug list um, back in 2018 um, and only CBD that's derived from hemp. So not CBD derived from marijuana. Um, yeah, so knowing that especially, I mean, it was in 2019 then after that law was passed that we started actually selling CBD. I wouldn't even sell CBD up until that point because I was like, I don't wanna give anybody any reason to come after me or shut us down. Um, you know, it's education first. and so. That is definitely something that I've had to just work with on my own personal level and work through to understand what my comfort level is. And whenever it comes to, especially being public out, like you said, on campus, holding signs and whatnot, I think it really comes down to showing a level of confidence, but also professionalism. Something that I always try to do is combat that typical stoner stereotype. And not that there's anything wrong with it. You know, I can indulge in those types of stereotypes whenever I'm behind closed doors and alone. But if I'm going out and advocating for this stuff, I'm making sure that I'm dressing professionally. And, um, you know, that I am using the word cannabis rather than weed and marijuana. I'm really trying to come at it from an angle that is just a little bit different than what other people may have heard and get their attention in that way rather than, you know, luring them in um, with slang terms and, you know, really trying to appeal to the more conservative and skeptical person and be that approachable resource um, without, yeah, intimidating. Yeah. I mean, Kristen, it sounds like, you know, I, I feel like so many people have this conception that like people who are advocating for recreational and even ma medical marijuana, they're saying like, oh, we all just like want to get high and have a good time. Like that's how people perceive it. But from our conversation, like that's not the case at all. Like there is a right and like productive way to use all these products. And I would love if you, like my last question for you is like, what advice would you give to someone who is looking for the best product for them? Because I know that you said like going to a dispensary and talking to, you know, people who are educated on it, they'll, they'll be able to help you find the best product for you. So like, what advice would you give someone who's a total beginner? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, just get educated. And so Hemsley can be a great resource to do that. We also link to lots of other resources that we feel are really valid and um, credible. We, one of the resources that we just put out was with a dispensary, the one that I'm working on, Field State, which will have locations in Kansas City and St. Louis in the next couple months. And we put together like a totally free downloadable guidebook. It's about 30 pages and it really walks you through how to create your own cannabis experience. So if you're someone who is looking to use more THC, that's going to be a great resource for you. We also have a how to not get high with cannabis series on our website, which goes through six different ways to use both CBD and THC without feeling intoxication. And so really just getting educated on these different concepts. You know, I kind of blew through the endocannabinoid system, cannabinoids, terpenes, but sitting down with it and making sure that you understand it. And then also understanding the different ways you can use cannabis before you walk into that dispensary, because when a bud tender is throwing things at you and you never know what kind of bud tender you're going to get, it's hard to know. Uh, it's hard to feel really secure and confident in what you are going to purchase, not having your own understanding. So my biggest advice would be do your own research to a level that you feel comfortable with. It doesn't have to be a ton, you know, just spend 10 minutes reading through some online content um, and you can be much more prepared walking into that dispensary experience for the first time and know what to ask for and what kind of questions and feel like you can really have an educated conversation with the bud tender. Yeah, I definitely think that's something that's so important. And that's something that 
you do often. And I know one thing I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about is on your site. And one thing that you're really great about, and I loved doing for you actually with so much fun is that you have your CBD tested. You have everything, uh, you know, kind of go through a round of trial and a bunch of different bodies and you have us all report back to you. Like, how did that feel? What did it look like? And so what do you kind of put into the works before you give something a CBD certification and put it on your site for patients or anybody else to kind of look at and find the ways that they can get relief out of it? Absolutely. And this is one of the things that we're working on refining for this new version of the website. But essentially, in order to be added to our certified CBD directory, you have to have a full panel of lab reports. So that's cannabinoids, mycotoxins, microbials, heavy metals, residual solvents, and pesticides. And we don't have any tolerance for pesticides. Each thing has a different level, again, based on that aggregated data across all legal markets. Um, so you have to meet those standards. And we created kind of this objective, you either do or don't meet these standards and you have to have all your products meet the standard for us to be able to list you here. And then from there, if they want to share product with us to sample, they can do so. And we'll just spend time using it. You know, I tell them it's going to be a couple months before you hear anything back, before we even post you. You know, we'll, we'll make a post saying that you've been added to our CBD directory, but we're not going to actually talk about using your product until we've really had a chance to try it for ourselves, because I think that's so important. And I want to be able, when I'm creating content around these things, to be able to share honestly and authentically. And so that's kind of the next step. And then from there, and this is kind of the new part, if we like the product, then we will list you in our shop, not necessarily carrying um, your product, stocking it ourselves because limited revenue in the days of COVID, but we'll have an affiliate partnership with you and we will be sharing that. And yeah, and then you can sort through it and find various products that way that meet the different needs that you have. And so if a product becomes something that a lot of people are purchasing, then we can add it to kind of a family favorites list and you can see what our team's favorites are amongst, amongst ourselves. I just want to say that's like the coolest thing ever. And I'm definitely going to look at your list when it comes up because I'd love to know, like, I'm so interested in the effects of CBD and like what it can do for you health wise and anxiety wise. And so like, once you guys have that up, like I am doing it, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. So thank you for that resource. <laughs> sure, thanks. Yeah. Really trying to make something that makes it easier for people to find lots of different products because there are lots of companies doing it right. And so we want to really lift those people up rather than try to create our own product that's a whole nother process. Again, we're really about the education and connecting you with people who are doing it um, in a responsible and ethical way. And I'm really excited about, we're going to have an conscious shopping section where you can sort products by, you know, women owned, um, minority owned, vegan, uh, sustainably produced, like all of these different filters so that you can start putting your money into things that you align with and feel, feel excited to share and use. That's great. I love that so much. It's definitely, you know, something that I appreciated a lot being somebody who, even though I had had a bit of knowledge, it's so good to know that the CBD products or something that you're trying has been tested by other people and has been regulated and does have those kinds of things behind it. Um, so one thing that I kind of want to ask you a little bit more about one event that you did that I thought was so inspirational and so transformative, especially for a Midwesterner community was your Hemsley Health Apartment. And I just wanna kind of understand more about how you were able to put that together in a, in a place where you know it is prohibition and get all of these different CBD companies and all of that to kind of come together and do one of the largest like education events I've ever seen. And it didn't just, you know, have a bunch of boots. It had, you know, yoga and it had activities and it made it seem like such a accessible thing. And so I just kind of want to know what goes into doing an event like that, or how do you collaborate with other, you know, people in the industry? Well, thank you so much. That was one of the um, best and most challenging days of my life thus far, because it was a lot of work. Um, I had no idea really whenever I took it on just how much work it would be. And, you know, it really came down to a lot of relationship building and management. I was able to call on all these amazing companies, both in my local and national community that 
that I connected with through my graphic design career and that had seen me working on Hemsley and wanted to support my mission and really just reaching out to them. I mean, the first <laughs> um, step was really making like a pitch deck, putting my ideas together in something that I could share to these different companies and then getting on the phone with them, which was really scary at the time and trying to pitch them on this and convince them to help sponsor it because um, it did you know, it was an investment of time, energy, and resources into making this happen. And by the end of it, we had over 50 sponsors actually involved between our local and national community. And it was really cool to see all of them come together and be so excited to support and share product and share information and um, share their time. I actually had a few companies travel from, you know, all over the United States to come to the event, which was really cool and like just gave me all the warm fuzzies and yeah it was a lot of I just conceptualized it it was kind of this you know if I was learning about cannabis for the first time and really again that endocannabinoid system how would I want to walk into an event and really have a from beginning to end experience to help me do hands-on learning too because I think a big part of what a lot of conferences and other things are lacking is that they're just lecturing at you the whole time. I wanna do hands-on activities, give me some terpenes to make my own herbal blend. Let me make my own room spritzer that is you know, tailored to either making me feel more uplifted and happy versus more relaxed and you know, um, calm. And so helping me actually apply these different concepts that I'm learning to real life things and then be able to take goodies home with me because you know everybody loves taking home a goodie bag and being a little scientist at the tables. And so it was really, Taking, you know, because I've been doing events for a couple of years on a smaller scale between, you know, four to maybe 16 people. This one, you know, we had over 150 people show up. It was crazy. And yeah, it was just being able to create something that they were excited about. But, you know, again, I was a creative. I had the whole vision when it came to like managing all the sponsors. I actually hired someone to help me manage all the sponsors. You know, it was, it was just a lot more than I expected. And also going around to venues and trying to find locations to have these different events. And um, yeah, Logboat was great. If you are familiar with Logboat in Colombia, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were so supportive and so on board. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for, thanks for helping again, it was amazing. <laughs> I just have uh, one more quick question. You have kind of seen a forward progression um, as time has gone on since you started Hemsley. And I'm just curious, like from your perspective, how do you kind of see the change? Like, how do you see the industry changing in the future? Like, what do you see coming out of um, furthering education, having more, you know, insightful dispensaries? Like, what do you see coming from all that? And what do you see kind of the future of cannabis in the United States looking like? I think ultimately I see it becoming just as commonplace as alcohol, to be honest. I think you'll be able to go into the store and buy your cannabis. That's a ways down the road, but I think that's where we're headed. And that's where I'd like to see it head because it is something, you know, especially at least in the recreational sense, um, that should be available in the same way, in my opinion. Now, when it comes to the medical component, I really want to see full-on healthcare facilities that are dedicated to this, but not necessarily ones that are just cannabis specific. Like, again, let's talk about that endocannabinoid system because there's lots of other things you can do that are going to support your body in the same way that cannabis could maybe, depending on your condition again, and it might be less expensive. It may be you know, less hard on, let's say your lungs, if you like to smoke, whatever it is, there's lots of other alternatives to helping with that health and wellness. So I'd love to see, facilities that really are taking the time to educate um, about those different components of the cannabis plant, how they affect you, and then give you lots of tips and tools on how to integrate this into a whole holistic lifestyle of health for yourself. I think that tonight you have given us like, honestly, so much information, so many good tips, not only, like I said, for me, who's somebody who all of my friends call me, you know, the stoner, and I'm the person that they run to for their education. It's so nice to have a conversation with somebody who does still know more than me and can enlighten me on so many things. Um, but I just want to know, is there anything else that, you know, especially as 420 approaches that you want to share with our listeners just so that they continue to be safe um, consumers and smart consumers? Yeah, I would just say start tuning into your body. You know, one of the ways that I've really started to use cannabis is to gauge 
how stressed out I am because I've realized, you know, it takes me a different amount of cannabis to get high at the end of the day. If I'm really stressed out, if I'm really stressed out, I need more. And so it's a good way for me to check into my body and say, wow, like maybe there was a lot more going on today than I realized. And start to tune into that and notice really how it's affecting me on a day-to-day basis. And then overall, like, am I relying on it more or less? And, you know, if I am really stressed out, well, what other things can I do in my life to help reduce that stress so that I don't need, feel the need to use cannabis as often. And so really just trying to tune into my body, become more, um, yeah, aware of when I'm using it, consciousness of when I'm using it, putting that intention behind it, you know, before I actually do use it, what do I want to get out of this? And, you know, consciously saying that to myself has been really helpful. And, you know, when it comes to 420, it's okay to push past your peak point of balance every once in a while. Like, (laughs) you know, just doing it every day, all day can be an issue. And again, that's just, you have to tune into your own self and be able to recognize whenever it's too much for you. But, um, you know, I will be preparing it for 420 by reducing my consumption a little bit and, you know, preparing my tolerance so that I can have a more of that, like, you know, first time you get high type of feeling on 420 and really relive that amazing experience. So that's what I'll be doing. I love that. Happy 420, everyone. Um, Kristen, thank you so, so, so much for hanging out with us and teaching us so much. Something that I really appreciate is like, it seems like one of your philosophies is to meet people where they are, you know, especially you talked about campaigning in Missouri. We, we all have lived there and we know that things are a little bit different there. Like I live in New York now and it's recreational here. Um, but I think on this podcast, we really love meeting people where they are and giving people information in a very approachable way. So we always love collaborating with like-minded people and just thank you so much for being here tonight. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you guys. You're welcome back anytime. Honestly, I learned so much today and like I am somebody who has anxiety, like, and I take medication for that. So you have really shown me that I'm going to start kind of looking in and seeing if there are other more like holistic ways that I can tackle that problem. So I'm really excited about it. And you'll probably have messages from me on social media being like, Hey, what do you recommend? Um, because I trust you. And I think it's so great that you have built this brand that people can genuinely trust because it's not just, you know, oh, I'm saying this because this company's paying me to, I'm saying it because we've tried it, we tested it and we think that it's good for you. Yeah, I'd love to have your questions. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is so informative because, you know, one of the other missions of Speakeasy is to not just add to the noise. We don't want to just contribute what everybody else is out there doing. And I think that Hemsley is such an amazing, you know, expression of that because right now with cannabis on the explosion that it is, everybody wants to hop in on the money side. Everybody wants to hop in on the grower side. Everybody wants to open their dispensary. But people like you who are helping, you know, patients like me get that information and understanding of how that this can help our bodies is so fundamental. So I would like to say for anybody out there who's thinking about experimenting with cannabis or, you know, has been experimenting with cannabis for a while, please reach out and go to hemsley.com. It is absolutely one of the best places I find my user experience guides there. I find just so many tools that help me be a better cannabis user. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Kristen. Um, I hope that you lovely listeners enjoyed our episode. I'm officially a glass of wine deep and I'm going to go make some cocktails with my roommates. So thank you for being here and happy 420. Um, Until next time, stay informed. Cheers. Cheers.